From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is the week's worst with Allen and Vadim. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capitol Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadim, Senior Vice President of the Capitol Research Center. This is our podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. We do it so you don't have to. And Matthew, we're starting with you. Well, I wanted to talk about the coming sanctuary cities crackdown. And this is an article up at Bomb Throwers right now. And uh, it's about uh, Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, uh, went and did some special pleading with President-elect Donald Trump at the Trump Tower in Manhattan. And he was asking him, please, Mr. President-elect, Please betray all of your supporters and don't crack down on sanctuary cities like mine because my sanctuary city is so awesome and we love all the illegals there and they're fantastic. And uh, my grandfather came a hundred years ago and, and, and look at him now and look at me now and isn't this great? So his grandfather came illegally or legally? Uh, he didn't actually say, but the implication seemed to be that the grandfather came illegally. Most likely, he, he 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 came legally. Most of the you know most of the uh, uh, immigrants uh, during the period when you had the great immigration in the United States, you know, you hear the stories about coming through Ellis Island and people had to be checked uh, very reasonably, had to be checked for infectious diseases, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, so most of the most of the folks who came to this country, most of our ancestors, um, came here legally, unfortunately, with the exception of those who were kidnapped and brought here for purposes of slavery, but that uh, goes back over hundreds of years. And and uh, so the people who came here deliberately in violation of our law is actually a pretty pretty small percentage, and I think uh, people tend to conflate those because it makes it, it makes it convenient. Are you accusing a politician of lying, Steve? Yeah, there's no... no Nobody's worried about sanctuary cities for legal immigrants. You're only worried about sanctuary cities for illegal immigrants, uh, or many of them aren't even immigrants. You know, we use this terminology. Um, illegal alien is actually the correct term, but some people find that offensive, so we use fake terms. Uh, one is uh, we call them immigrants. Most of them actually, most people who come to this country illegally, uh, a good percentage of them, probably over half, uh, eventually go back. So that means they're not necessarily immigrants. Uh, they, we also use the term undocumented, which of course is a nonsense term. That's like saying somebody who robs a bank has made an undocumented withdrawal. Um, they, it, it's a term that means nothing and is not even accurate as the uh, proponents of many of these illegals uh, actually state quite often uh, a high percentage, perhaps 40% or more of the uh, illegal aliens in the U.S. are people who overstayed their visas. So they are not, in fact, undocumented. So again, that these are terms that are used to sort of disguise what the reality is, uh, and that's quite common, unfortunately, uh, as used by people like uh, Rahm Emanuel in the city of Chicago, that city of peace. Well, he is just rubbing, Rob Emanuel is just rubbing his hands together right now saying, oh, goody, goody, maybe I can get the Trump administration to to uh, back off on one of its major campaign promises. And yeah. I, I would hope he's just whistling Dixie. Um, I don't know that he would whistle Dixie, but um, he may not know how well, Dixie goes. how about goes. whistling past the graveyard? That, okay, that may be it. Well, you know, the, the, the threat right He'd now— He'd do a little jig as well. The threat right now to the sanctuary cities is that uh, the federal government will cut off 
the vast amounts of money that they get. You have New York City, for example, I believe is $100 billion in debt, uh, and uh, they're wanting more money. That sounds, you know? that sounds kind of low for New York City. Yeah, well, and uh, it's something that'll never be paid back. And, and of course, the politicians, they have a ultra left-wing government uh, that, in, that, was, uh, in, that is in place now with Bill de Blasio, and they managed to have the far left take over the city council and the public advocate office, basically eliminated all reason within the New York City government uh, and then uh, in, in the last set of elections. And then they, of course, want to go on a spending spree, which is to be financed ultimately by the taxpayers of people from around the country because the idea is that we will bail out New York City. And uh, it's quite funny that they're complaining now in New York about the money that's being spent for security at Trump Tower, which is something obviously you have to do to protect the uh, the, the president-elect and the new first family. Uh, and uh, they're complaining uh, about that money uh, while they're off on this spending spree that uh, is unprecedented uh, <laughs> in American history, I think, among, among, among cities. All I can say is, uh, is call the wambulance. <laughs> well, one of the things I'd like to uh, to talk about is the China call because you saw this this week how the the left just completely goes uh, off the deep end whenever uh, Donald Trump does anything that's outside their uh, frame of reference. And in this case, of course, they took a call from the the leader of of Taiwan. Uh, for those who uh, haven't followed this for decades, uh, you have a situation in China where the communists took over in 1949. Uh, they exiled the then government of China to the uh, island of Taiwan, which became known as the Republic of China. So you had the People's Republic of China, which was the communist dictatorship. And then you had the government, the Republic of China on Taiwan, which is a nationalistic, uh, somewhat authoritarian, but over the years developed a very much into a democracy. And uh, unlike China, which of course, the mainland China, which is still under control of the Communist Party. So uh, the uh, mainland China, the communists, they consider Taiwan to be a province. And uh, so since, since the 1970s, uh, we've kowtowed to the Chinese in that regard. Ha ha, uh, good, ha. Pu good pun there, Dr. Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've, we've done that by refusing to publicly acknowledge uh, the existence of the Republic of China on Taiwan, pretending they don't exist or pretending they're a province of China, even though uh, under the table, we provide them with lots of, uh, you know, not, not it's not secret, but they just don't talk about it. We provide them with uh, uh, all this uh, military aid. And of course, one of our top commitments in the international world is to protect Taiwan from being attacked and conquered by the communists uh, in Beijing. And uh, so Donald Trump takes a call from the legitimate leader uh, and this is obviously something that's been thought through. Uh, John Bolton, who's one of the president-elect's uh, advisors, who's a contender now for secretary of state, wrote an op-ed piece a few months back about the steps that the next president should take in terms of standing up to the Chinese bullies and uh, how they're uh, all the terrible things that they're doing in the world. Uh, and one of them was we needed to start recognizing uh, more of a relationship, being more open about our relationship uh, with Taiwan. Uh, 
and this reminds me to a great degree of something that happened early in my political career when um, Ronald Reagan got upset, uh, rightly so, uh, that President Ford, Republican president, uh, with Henry Kissinger as his Secretary of State, and even many of our uh, younger listeners, if you follow politics, you know who Henry Kissinger is. Well, um, Henry Kissinger advised President Ford not to uh, recognized Alexander Solzhenitsyn when he came to Washington, who was a great freedom fighter and dissident in the Soviet Union, and uh, Ford did that. He refused to uh, acknowledge Solzhenitsyn, refused to have him at the White House, and this was, of course, done to uh, uh, not offend the delicate sensibilities of the Soviet Union, this vast murdering dictatorship. And, uh, and Ronald Reagan, that was one of the reasons he ran for president of the United States against Gerald Ford in the Republican primaries was his outrage over this uh, kowtowing, in that case, to the Soviet Union. So this is what, that, this, is what this reminds me of. Um, I'm sure that uh, uh, a lot of people saw Rachel Maddow uh, on her program just quaking and, and almost crying talking about how this is the way wars start. And then you had the usual Trump insults. I, I always enjoy when Rachel Maddow gets upset. Yes. There's she, something really sort of soothing, soul-soothing about it. <laughs> well, she, she does quake well. Uh, and, uh, and then there was uh, Matthew Dowd on the ABC Sunday morning program who, uh, who said he just had to work in an insult at Trump, which is he said that uh, it, Trump's ego just wouldn't let him not take this phone call, even though it was terrible for American foreign policy. Of course, that's silly. Trump knew exactly what he was doing, and, uh, and he was doing something that has, uh, is long overdue uh, for, uh, for this country, in, in my view. So what, what else have you got there? Well, I've got here, I, I, I have to be wondering... Uh, is it about time to arrest Michael Moore for sedition? This is something I wrote about at Bomb Throwers. It's up there right now at bombthrowers.com. Um, he is not just planning to lead a protest. He wants to get angry mobs of leftists in Washington, D.C. on January 20th for Inauguration Day in order to disrupt the inauguration. Now, you don't get a whole bunch of, you don't get angry mobs of leftists together to disrupt something. You get, you get them together to prevent something from happening. And this is, um, this is what uh, Michael Moore uh, uh, does. He's, this is a particularly aggressive move even for him, but he wants all these people to come here. And he is saying that, um, uh, that uh, Donald Trump's election is illegitimate because of this trivial metric known as the popular vote that that Hillary Clinton has 2.5 million uh, more popular votes than Donald Trump has and that this means he's illegitimate and we need to riot in the streets well he doesn't quite say that but he he comes pretty close to it and I'm just wondering why hasn't Michael Moore been arrested for sedition yet <laughs> well he's certainly uh, someone who has friends in high places remember wasn't it Jimmy Carter one Democratic convention where Jimmy Carter had him uh, sitting in the in the box there observing the convention uh, there with Michael Moore uh, and you know he, he's a he's a far leftist look you know I, I appreciate the the artistry of some of his works uh, uh, often he misses the point of the story when he in, in his documentaries uh, I remember that uh, uh, he actually had in his documentary 
uh, about uh, 9-11, uh, Fahrenheit 9-11, he actually had good material in there, true material, about the ties between the Washington establishment and the Saudi royal family and some of the people who were actually behind 9-11, as we now know, uh, that were, um, you know, their families were put on a plane and jetted out of the country very uh, so they, they would be in safety. Uh, and at the same time, there was sort of a cover-up of the Saudis' role uh, because they were seen as our ally, and we didn't want people to know what, uh, what they had, uh, how they were involved in 9-11. He had good material uh, in, in his documentary, but the way he presented it, it was always from a far-left perspective, and people who didn't share his particular politics didn't believe it at the time. I remember that. I remember trying to convince people that, uh, that there was something to it, and, uh, and I couldn't because Michael Moore was such a turnoff to them. Uh, this year, he was actually right in predicting what would happen with regard to the blue-collar uh, vote going for Donald Trump, and he was warning his fellow leftists uh, about this. Of course, they, they weren't in the mood to accept what he had to say. They, they, they thought that anything you said that made it seem like Trump might win was, you know, made you a traitor to the left-wing cause if you accepted that reality, and they wanted to present this picture that uh, Trump was never going to have a chance, couldn't have a chance, couldn't win, uh, and we saw what that what and, that and didn't them. didn't he say Michael Moore say that uh, you watch Trump will get elected, it'll be the biggest fu <laughs> in American electoral history, and he was right. Oh yeah, he he actually got the point of the Trump campaign in terms of the. Uh, people giving the finger to the establishment, people saying we've had enough, uh, working class people in particular, uh, getting a raw deal from uh, trade agreements, getting a raw deal from the, the crony capitalism where uh, Wall Street gets bailout, bailed out, but little people don't get bailed out. Uh, and uh, so he had his finger on that, but you know he has this left-wing ideology that sort of clouds everything, and, and now he's going off on this, uh, on this effort. Uh, reminds me also of this the threats that some of the electors have been getting, and I think we've got two two Republican electors now who say that they're going to vote for uh, John Kasich. Uh, at least one of them is using Van Jones's um, PR firm <laughs> to uh, get his message out there, which is not going to buy many points with uh, with conservatives or Republicans. Uh, uh, if you have Van Jones, who was of course the green jobs czar in the Obama administration who lost his job because it turned out he was behind, he was involved in the effort to say that 9-11 was secretly planned by George Bush and his cronies. Uh, and uh, so he was known as a 9-11 truther, and uh, that cost him his job. He said that he was doing the green jobs effort in the in the Obama White House because it was a way to get rid of capitalism, that you go from current capitalism to green capitalism, and eventually you're able to get rid of capitalism entirely. He also described himself as someone who, uh, in prison, had become a revolutionary communist. So that's Van Jones. And, and a rowdy black nationalist. Don't yes, forget that. Yes. And so that's Van Jones, who you see on CNN. He's the guy who said that the election of Trump was a uh, white lash, uh, which is uh, obviously <clears throat> racist terminology, but that's okay. He gets away with that sort of thing. So uh, so the fact that they're using the PR firm associated with Van Jones is not going to win them many points as they try to explain. I think one of the guys, uh, one of the electors who's voting against Trump from Texas uh, wrote a piece for the New York Times, which was summarized by many people as him saying, well, 
Donald Trump reminds my uh, reminds me of Darth Vader, and my son knows that Darth Vader is a villain, so I just can't vote for that. Donald Trump. Darth Vader is a villain. Yeah, Darth Vader is a villain. Apparently, at some point, I mean, spoiler alert and everything. Uh, so, um, so that's uh, that's where we are on that. And of course, the elector is getting death threats. That's <sighs> that's uh, I think a new a new thing in in politics. I can't. It may find have happened. In, it may have happened in two thousand when there was uh, the disputed um, election, the recount, the last right. of what was it, 35, 36 days after the election, Bush versus Gore. And I think that there were leftists that were that were threatening Bush electors, telling them they had to vote for Gore because Gore got the popular vote. So I think there was some some threats of death back then. Yeah. And of course, if you go back to like 1876, you had a dispute in the presidential contest where, to this day, we're not quite sure who actually won the presidential contest of 1876. But the deal was worked out where they would, uh, the Republicans could win if they promised to take the Democratic side and withdraw the troops from from, uh, Reconstruction where they were protecting the rights of African Americans in the South uh, from the Democrats who were trying to uh, take away their rights. And uh, the Republicans were basically forced to withdraw, which, which strangely enough is now remembered by many people as the Republicans uh, being evil for withdrawing their uh, their opposition to the Democrats. They, nobody blames the Democrats <laughs> that the Republicans were protecting people from. They only blame the Republicans for being forced by the political situation, which is that the election was essentially tied and nobody knew who won it. Well, back then that led to the, the glorious presidency of Ruther Rutherford beat Hayes, didn't it? Uh, yeah, or is that who, Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Or I'm not tried sure. to make he was trying to make America great again way back when. Well, back when. Well, let me uh, let me bring up a story that's a, a fake news story. You know, there's a lot, a lot of talk now about fake news. Well, we have one that's just absolutely clearly fake news, uh, and uh, it's in the Washington Post. It's by getting Chris Mooney. Now, Mooney's specialty is presenting Republicans, conservatives, free market people as uh, conducting a war on science. I think he had a book out actually called The Republicans' War on Science. Uh, So he, of course, takes the position of the environmentalists, which is the anti-science position. That's the great irony. Uh, But of course, they present it as the pro-science position, uh, making all sorts of ridiculous claims. 97% of scientists believe in global warming theory, which is not true. No studies ever said that. They just make it up. Uh, And uh, so here's, here's Here's the, uh, with regard to the Paris Climate Treaty, and I remember this is the agreement that all the countries of the world would get together and uh, they would uh, restrict the um, activities that lead to emissions of greenhouse gases, or at least that's how it's characterized. It's a total fake, but that's how it's characterized. Now, he says that Donald Trump, uh, who's promised to scrap the Paris Treaty, uh, is, uh, he's not going to be able to do that because... uh, Uh, According to Chris Mooney, and I'll read here, it says, A new survey released by the Chicago Council on Global Affairs on Monday suggests that if Trump were were to withdraw from the agreement, that may not be popular within the United States. The survey of 2,061 Americans conducted in June finds that 71% support the Paris deal, including 57% of Republicans, a notable finding on a topic that, at least so far, does not seem to have received much polling attention. Now, the reason I say it's a fake news story is that it's, it's fake on its face. I mean, there's no way this could be true, <clears throat> and here's how you know. Um, Right before the vice presidential debate, there was a survey, which no one has disputed because other surveys, other pollsters have found similar results. And that was that 41% of Americans could not name Donald Trump's running mate. 
and 46% could not name Hillary Clinton's running mate. Now, we are to believe... Hillary Clinton had a running mate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some guy Amazing. named Jim Kane, I think it was. Hmm. And, and, and we are to believe, if this were to be true, that would mean that even though 46% of Americans couldn't name Hillary Clinton's running mate and 41% couldn't name Donald Trump's running mate, yet 71% not only know about the Paris Agreement, not only understand the Paris Agreement, but uh, they have an opinion in favor of of the Paris Agreement. It, wouldn't that be amazing if that were true? That must have been a very well-informed uh, cross-section of the population. Obviously. You know, this reminds me, back in the 90s at one point, there was a survey that showed uh, the vast majority of Americans being in favor of the Chemical Weapons Treaty. And uh, I thought, well, gee, that's really strange because I studied up on the Chemical Weapons Treaty. I had to write about it, and uh, that's actually one of my fields. But but uh, I, I couldn't find anybody who really knew anything. I went down to Capitol Hill, and I walked around Capitol Hill and said hello to people and struck up conversations. I couldn't find people who worked on Capitol Hill who knew anything about the Chemical Weapons Treaty. And yet, according to this survey, the vast majority of Americans were in favor of it. Uh, were these the same people who wanted to ban dihydrogen monoxide? Yes. Uh, you often, this is something that sometimes you'll have a student who'll go out and have a petition to ban dihydrogen monoxide, which is one of the world's top killers. Uh, many, many thousands of people die every year as a result of overexposure. In fact, to- I don't think there's anyone who's ever lived... Um, who hasn't consumed dihydrogen monoxide? Yes, at it, one it's point. right out there in the environment, and yet nobody's doing anything to take it out of the there environment. There really ought to be a law, don't you think? Yeah, it's uh, and it's it's absolutely it will kill you if you if you are in a room full of dihydrogen monoxide uh, f- for more than a few minutes, you will in fact die. Uh, and uh, of course, that's you know water. And uh, yet people have actually collected petitions where they, and they've gone to city councils and demanded, they've listed all the negative uh, effects of dihydrogen monoxide, and they've, they've, they've presented this and then gotten city councils to pass resolutions banning dihydrogen monoxide. Uh, it, it reminds me of um, uh, the uh, Lincoln Chafee, who was later the governor of uh, Rhode Island, briefly ran for president this last time, and he was a senator, and he attacked one of the witnesses because the witness had said that carbon dioxide is harmless to humans, which it is. Uh, and yet, you know, the government, the environmentalists are trying to treat it as a pollu- as pollution and regulate it as a pollutant, and yet it's harmless to humans. And uh, Senator Chafee just flew into a rage because he said, you know, I have reports from my constituents all the time, people dying in their garages of exposure to uh, carbon dioxide. Uh, and of course, uh, for those who haven't Googled it yet or don't know, uh, car- carbon dioxide uh, is harmless to humans. It's carbon monoxide that people die from the stuff in their that garages. comes out of the exhaust pipe on yes. your car. Yes, which because your body treats it as uh, as if it were oxygen, then you uh, if you breathe too much in, you you will die. Uh, and uh, and and here you have a, a senator who's voting on whether to have the government uh, regulate carbon dioxide, which is drastically has drastic effects on the world economy. We're talking about impoverishing billions of people, billions of people, and and this guy's knowledge uh, is such that he doesn't know the difference between the dangerous gas carbon monoxide and the completely harmless gas that, by the way, every human and every every other animal on Earth is constantly exhaling. Uh, he uh, didn't know the difference between carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide. The other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, Dr. Allen, was what happened in the House of Representatives. The Republicans have backed off of their pledge 
to impeach and remove from office the IRS Commissioner John Koskinen. I've got an item in bombthrowers.com about it right now, and it seems that they just sort of uh, uh, pocket vetoed it on their legislative calendar, shunt, shunned it off to the side, shunted it off to the side, uh, sent it back to committee, and yet they were so hot to get rid of this guy, <laughs> IRS Chief John Koskinen, because he played a significant role in the cover-up of uh, Lois Lerner's um, targeting scandal. That is the scandal in which the IRS knowingly and deliberately applied heightened scrutiny to conservative and Tea Party 501c4 nonprofit organizations, um, uh, making them answer all sorts of questions that they wouldn't ask liberal group groups, delaying their applications for years. Some of them uh, speculate that uh, it may have even cost it may have even cost the right the election in 2012. No way to know for sure if that's if that's true. It's a historical what if, but it's a serious uh, problem when the IRS is picking favorites and uh, rewarding one point of view and punishing the other point of view. What do you think happened in? Uh, what do you think happened in the House? Why didn't they go ahead? It would have been an easy. It would have been an easy. Uh, point to make that would have been it would have been really easy to impeach the guy well you know there's a, there's a, a tendency to do this let bygones be bygones thing after uh, after one side loses the election but you have to remember one of the things about impeachment is that you're you are disqualifying that person for future service uh, in the government and it's important to send that signal we've talked about Hillary Clinton and how uh, I, you know I know there's no mood to do this, but you know I would like to see um, an effort to impeach Hillary Clinton. You say impeach Hillary Clinton, she's not in office, she didn't get elected, yes, but um, the principle of impeachment applies to former office holders who committed crimes uh, in their office or covered up crimes. Uh, with regard to the IRS commissioner, you have a situation that uh, the Tea Party movement, I, I, I guess to explain to people on the other side what this is like, imagine if at a key moment in the abolitionist movement or the civil rights movement, uh, you had had the federal government uh, cracking down on a particular group of people who were on one side of an issue, the anti-Vietnam War movement, uh, not allowing them to have the tax exemptions that were normal for people uh, involved in politics at a certain level in terms of advocacy. You're not allowed to promote, supposedly promote, uh, to promote a particular candidacy, although people on the left often get away with that. But but still, uh, this is part of a normal procedure. And, and um, Lyndon Johnson, remember, tried to, uh, or he put the legislation through to take away tax exemptions for churches who had criticized him. And sometimes that's what the government does. But basically, we want to encourage people to be involved in the debate. And um, here you had the IRS just cracking down. And I got to tell you, it had an effect on me. I was editor of a magazine called uh, Tea Party Review, which was an effort to do a Tea Party magazine. And of course, all magazines survive on advertising. And there were people who told me, well, I can't buy an ad. I'm afraid of being audited. And this was, of course, before the scandal came out. So I was saying, oh, you're being paranoid. What are you talking about? Nobody's going to retaliate against you uh, for uh, buying an ad in a Tea Party magazine. And now we know that's exactly the kind of thing that they were up to. Uh, and it's, uh, it's disturbing that they're not, uh, they're not taking action now uh, to, uh, to establish that principle and say we will never allow this. Remember, Nixon had several charges of impeachment against him, and the one that had the best uh, probability of succeeding had he not resigned before, before this could take place uh, was the one where he attempted 
to use the IRS to retaliate against his enemies. That's he attempted. They actually refused to do it. And so right, Nixon, the IRS commissioner said, "No, I refuse to do this, President Nixon." Right, and the Obama people and did. President Nixon said, uh, "Okay, yeah." <laughs> and the Obama people uh, actually did what Nixon was attempting to do and was never able to do. Uh, and yet, I have and and they got caught red-handed. I mean, you know, there's nobody who looks at the you know <laughs> the effort by Lois Lerner to take the Fifth Amendment, the destruction of computers, and all the other things that were done. Um, nobody looks at those and reasonably thinks that this is not a conspiracy to use the IRS to crack down on the president's political adversaries who they considered beneath contempt uh, and deplorables and so on. And uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's sad that we're not doing what we ought to do uh, in 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 a situation like this, I did want to mention one thing, and that is Kellogg's apparently doesn't like you. Uh, Kellogg's has said that they're withdrawing their advertising from uh, Breitbart. Uh, Breitbart being the uh, online publication associated with the um, the president's uh, aide, um, uh, Steve Bannon, a uh, very distinguished publication. I believe you've written for that. Oh, many many times. I used to write for them pretty frequently. Yeah, and so, I was never a paid contributor, unfortunately. Oh, well. they didn't have any money back then. Yeah, well, I've written for some online publications as well that uh, couldn't couldn't pay me. But uh, by but, the way, we have about this precise topic: the anti uh, Breitbart uh, blacklist. There's a top. There's an item up on bombthrowers.com about this right now. Oh, okay. And so I should just mention that uh, Townhouse Crackers, I like those, but I guess I won't be buying those anymore. And uh, there's Pringles, uh, Cheez-It, Keebler, Austin. And And this is because they withdrew their advertising from Breitbart.com because Breitbart was do- deemed to be uh, uh, evil. It embraces uh, uh, homophobia, sexism, racism, Islamophobia, every other ism or phobia you can think of. Right. In Basically, the... Breitbart, if Breitbart is for it, it's bad. Yes, and in the sense that uh, of the deplorables, which is people who are falsely accused of those things, because Breitbart, of course, has been falsely accused of those things. But that doesn't stop Kellogg. The fact that it's false doesn't stop Kellogg's. Uh, Pringles, Eggo Waffles, Special K, Frosted Flakes. You know, I'm just uh, gonna. It's easy to find lists of things that uh, that Kellogg's produces, and uh, so maybe people should uh, hear from Kellogg's that. Uh, uh, if Kellogg's doesn't believe that that uh, uh, that that Breitbart uh, shares their values, they say we don't advertise with uh, with companies that don't share our values. Uh, well, then maybe people who don't share their values should not buy their products. Well, the charitable organization that grew out of that W. K. Kellogg Foundation, founded by there was actually a guy named W. K. Kellogg, uh, and he was a conservative. And as most of these foundations do over time, they drift to the left because uh, people. Uh, uh, enamored of the vision of the benefactor, uh, die and are replaced by others who don't know, you know, what granddaddy was interested in, uh, and they start backing other causes. But the Kellogg Foundation is one of the largest philanthropies in America, and it's been funding all sorts of uh, left-wing social engineering radical schemes uh, for decades. So it's really not that surprising to anybody who follows Kellogg's um, which is a uh, which is based in Battle Creek, Michigan, by the way. Uh, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody who follows them that they have been on the crazy left for a long time. And they were crazy. Uh, if you go back beyond that, uh, the, the 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 breakfast cereal movement began as ways to um, as a way to control people's sex drive because it was thought that these uh, these products would control people's sex drive. That was kind of nuts. So the tradition of nuttiness continues to this day. 
Well, uh, we'll be back next week, and we hope you'll join us. Uh, please follow us at the uh, Capital Research Center on Facebook, on our YouTube channel, and at Capital Research on Twitter. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Vadum. Thanks for listening.